You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everyone. It is now 5 o'clock here at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. And we have the very great pleasure of welcoming Principal and Vice Chancellor of Queen's University, Patrick Dean, into our studios today. Welcome, Principal Dean. Thank you very much. Great to be here. May I call you Patrick? You may, please. I prefer it. So tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, before we talk about your work as principal, tell us a little bit about your research and teaching. So I'm a professor of English. Um, My interest, and it's a very long-standing interest, has been the relationship between art and culture and politics. And the the period in particular I'm interested in is the period between the two wars uh, in Britain. So it's that, uh, particularly the relationship between art and culture and left-wing politics in Britain, uh, in the 20s and 30s, that is my interest. So will you be doing any teaching in the, in the English department in the coming years? I certainly hope so. I, th- I think in the first year, uh, the job will be pretty demanding. And, you know, however much I may want to do it, I want to do a good job for students. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I have my mind on a whole lot of other things, I'm not going to be particularly effective. But as I settle into the job, my hope is that I'll be doing uh, teachings and graduate supervision and serving my department as I, as I should. Okay. So what uh, what types of courses have you taught before? Well, I've taught all kinds of things. I mean, I've my stock in trade has been 20th century literature, British and Irish for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the graduate level, I've taught much closer to my area of specialization. I have a, a, a fairly long-standing interest in contemporary poetry too. So I've taught courses in, in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've taught film as well. So, so I, I have I have quite a range of interests, but in a way, um, I approach everything from a kind of a cultural studies perspective. I'm interested in how how these art forms f- fit in to a broader so social, political, economic picture. Okay, and uh, so aside from teaching, then uh, do you expect to be able to do some research? Uh, in the next couple of years as well, or is that going to be a little on hold as well? Oh, no, that absolutely has to continue. I, I, you know, it's, I feel about that the way I do about the teaching. I mean, mm-hmm. the pleasure of teaching and the pleasure of research is what got me into this, this business, mm-hmm. and uh, it's what sustains me, so I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've, for all the years I've, I've been in these uh, administrative roles, I've, I've tried to remain productive as a researcher, and I will I'll continue to do so. And how do you balance that time? Or oh. is that the age-old question? Well, and I'm, not, I'm not sure I have the answer to the question, frankly. I mean, you just get better and better at working in, in the interstices of a day or a, or a working week. Um, what I have learned, I suppose, is the ability to, to write and to do research um, in discontinuous blocks. You know, I remember when I was in grad school, it seemed impossible to write a chapter of anything unless I had two months with no commitment. <laughs> Whereas now, you know, heavens, you know, if, if I've got if I've got a Friday afternoon that seems a little more open than usual, I might think, ah, to the desk. And, and strangely, um, 
I think I've been a bit more productive under these circumstances than when I was in grad school and had all that time. So <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit like, you know, when you have, you have children and they're, they're very light, you pick them up, and as they get bigger, you, you continue to pick them up. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing, I think. As the circumstances become more challenging, you, you struggle to find ways to do this if it's important enough to you. And oddly enough, you do become better at it. So what drives your research passion? What do you love most about it? Oh, I suppose I'm, you know, I mean, I wouldn't describe myself as a historian, but I have a great deal of interest in, in cultural history um, and, uh, and in the way in which individuals situate themselves in an epoch or in relation to a political movement and so on. I find, I mean, that's, to me, inherently interesting. So uh, if what, whatever period I'm looking at, whatever, you know, uh, national literature I'm looking at, those are the questions that always come to me. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I don't know what the root of the fascination is. Uh, I, um, I remember as an undergrad student loving literature but not understanding why I, was, why I was studying it. And as you get older, you find ways of explaining the attraction of the material, but I'm not sure I can yet explain <laughs> what, what turns my crank uh, <laughs> in a fundamental way on this, other than curiosity. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in human beings and the way they try to make meaning out of their lives. And that, in a way, is the process that leads to art of all kinds. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, the university you were at before and the various roles that you undertook while you were there. So uh, my, my career has... Uh, gone from teaching to these administrative roles. I began teaching at Western, so most of my my teaching career was at Western. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then I moved uh, to Winnipeg uh, and took on the first kind of more senior administrative role I had, and that was in 2001. Uh, from Winnipeg, I came here, actually. So I, I was here as uh, vice principal academic from 2005 to 2010. And then I went to McMaster as president in 2010. Um, that was my most recent gig. And uh, it, it was, you know, essentially for that institution, the equivalent uh, role as the principal here. Um, I began the job with some trepidation, actually, because, um, you know, my heart is in the academy. So the VP academic job was always very straightforward. You know, it, 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 was, uh, it was work I knew and uh, was very comfortable with. The, the president's role at Mac is much more outward facing, mm-hmm. it's more government relations, uh, it's more alumni work and so on. And I, when I took that on, I, I was curious, um, but perhaps a little intimidated by what that would call for from an essentially reclusive academic who likes <laughs> reading books. Um, but I found I loved it. Uh, and for all the same reasons that I, I suppose I gave you for my my engagement with my research. You know, so government is interesting. You know, they're our major funder. They are they set many of the terms of the work we do in the university. Despite the autonomy of the university, it's it's actually hard to escape the context that government provides. And so, mm-hmm. so I did find I had a great deal of interest in that side of the job. And uh, then on the alumni side, I discovered the huge pleasure of getting to know former students of the institution and mm-hmm. seeing the benefits they derived from attending the university and then how they 
how they parlayed that into sometimes spectacular careers and personal achievements of one sort or another. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that job. I did that for, for nine years at McMaster. So um, uh, coming back to Queens has been fabulous. Mm -hmm. And to come, come to the university in that role now um, it makes me very excited. Uh, because all of those things are alive and big issues here on this campus. Um, and it'll be very nice to be able to serve the university All right. in that way. So when it became known to you that there was an opportunity to become the principal and vice chancellor at Queen's University, what motivated you most to submit your application? Well, I mean, the first thing is uh, love and, and respect for the institution, uh, which I had uh, I had developed when I was here. Those five years were, were wonderful. Uh, so. Um, admiration for the institution linked to another consideration meant I, I would apply and the other consideration was that I think there is a sort of sweet spot in the amount of time you can and should do these these senior leadership jobs mm -hmm. and it'll be different depending on the job but uh, I think for a university uh, a, a president or a principal should serve around the the ideal spot is somewhere around a decade or a bit short of that. So, so after I'd done eight years at Mac, I thought, hmm, uh, it's not that I wouldn't enjoy carrying on, but I actually think the institution would benefit from a different perspective, mm -hmm. and and also I think I would too. Uh, I've you know my my career's had an, a number of moves, and I've been stimulated by every one of them, and I felt. I felt the need to be stimulated again, and uh, so that joined to uh, my admiration for Queens, and then the opportunity being there meant, well, it was the obvious thing to do. Okay. So, well, you bring great administrative experience at senior levels already, as you've talked about. Becoming a principal at Queen's University surely does have a pretty steep learning curve as well. Yeah. For those of us who aren't in senior administration and don't have any experience or insights on, on the process here, what does it look like in terms of transition? Oh, well, that's actually a very difficult question to answer because um, moving from one institution in this sort of role to another institution in this sort of role uh, is a lot easier than moving uh, from a radically different job into this job. So I do know what the job entails. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the potential pitfall, of course, is coming to a place you know or think you know, <laughs> but you know from nine years ago. Mm. So, uh, so for me, I think the challenge is not so much that the day-to-day the -day work of this job will be much different from what I'm used to, because, yeah, I mean... Serving as a vice chancellor for a university is is a fairly consistent job from one place to the other. But um, the, the challenge will be uh, to understand the nuances of the culture here again, and those some of those nuances will be quite different from from uh, what I remember from uh, nine ten years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think, and that is so. How steep is the learning curve? It could be quite steep. And, <laughs> Uh, and the pitfall is, of course, not knowing what you don't know at this stage and or assuming, you know, because of the familiarity of the place. Right. But I'm also assuming, too, that between institutions, there would be at the at the really high level, um, for example, differences in strategic priorities for the institution. So migrating 
uh, some of the goals that you had been working for and then learning about how to uh, achieve objectives to achieve a strategic plan at this institution. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's very true. And um, so, I mean, every place sets different kinds of priorities and has a different language mm-hmm. for those priorities. I mean, looked at dispassionately, I mean, universities, if they're universities, have basically two things they're trying to do. One is advance the boundary of knowledge uh, through research, and the other is to help individuals realize their potential through, through education and to foster, uh, foster achievements among students. So that's basically the goal. So, you know, in mm-hmm. that sense, uh, uh, coming to Queen's, I don't feel the assignment is radically different. Now, this institution situated where it is with its particular history will of necessity require a different approach to both of those those questions. Um, I mean, I think here, for example, you know, the the question of advancing the research profile of the university is really important. Mm-hmm. Queen's is famous for the quality of its student experience. Uh, and that is obviously something you should never take for granted. So uh, we do need to keep working on what that should look like mm-hmm. in changing circumstances. Um, so then again, too, we're at the end of a strategic framework here at, at Queen's. So uh, it, it'll be uh, up to me to lead the university in a conversation about where we go, mm-hmm. um, what our future should look like and what matters here. I mean, I, I have a view of universities that they are fundamentally there to serve the good of people and to serve the good of society. And uh, so that is consistent from place to place. Um, and it translates into other interesting considerations. I mean, what should the relationship between this university and the city of Kingston be? Mm-hmm. And uh, what can we do actively to promote well-being in our own community, more broadly defined? Mm-hmm. I often look at uh, the record in in the U.S. of universities that have deliberately chosen to be a force for urban renewal and social regeneration, while nevertheless maintaining their mandate Mm -hmm. as high-quality institutions of of higher learning. And uh, some of those American institutions are magic because they have huge endowments and massive real estate holdings. You know, we, we have a good endowment for Canadian University and we don't have massive real estate holdings. So what do we have mm-hmm. that is the asset that can be that can be mobilized? Um, and I think, you know, it's an exciting time for educators because of the shift to experiential learning, the, the, towards recognizing the importance of experiential learning, mm-hmm. which means that universities are much more porous on their boundaries than they used to be. And so there is interaction occurring between the business of learning and research on a campus and the life that is lived in the community that surrounds it. And mm-hmm. as those things become more interwoven, I think the opportunities for educators and researchers become fabulous and the potential for positive impact in the community also dramatically increases. So it's a really exciting time in my view. Okay. And in terms of excitement, what are you excited about uh, doing at the university? Uh, What are some of the big goals that you might have uh, moving forward? Well, I mean, broadly speaking, my goal is to maximize our standing and our impact on all those fronts, the teaching, the Mm -hmm. research, the community engagement side and all of that. 
precisely how we get there, precisely what you have to do to achieve those things. It's, you know, I've been on the job now a month and a half or something, so I, I can't really, I don't actually want to say what I think uh, I would see as a, a very sharply defined goal. I mean, I do know what we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, so what I'm going to do is initiate a conversation with the university at large, at its broader community, its alumni, every, every component of the university over the coming year so that I can understand uh, how this community wants to think about things like raising our research prominence, engaging with the community, looking, for example, at our standing as an international institution. I mean, what does it mean uh, to think of uh, the university as a global institution? We're pretty good on bringing students in from abroad. We could be better at sending students away for international experiences but that's not the sum of internationalization what you know what what would queens as an inter international uh, institution of higher learning look like and how should we be altering the way we think about it so these are the kinds of questions mm -hmm. I, I i want to have a conversation with the university about um, but that's the best way to start uh, goal setting is starting just to ask the questions yeah. and see where people are at uh, all, among all stakeholders yeah yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I think implicit in what I was saying is that um, the mission of an institution like Queen's is a hugely important and inspiring mission. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy to lose sight of that as we get caught up in the day to day business of operating the institution. I, what I, I really would like to do over this coming year is articulate the greater goal, the inspiring rationale for our being here and doing what we do and then thinking back to okay how do we serve that goal uh, best all right moving forward off of that last comment there uh, in terms of leadership itself what advice would you have for future leaders at queen's university who are students and maybe thinking about moving into academia and and perhaps leadership roles like you're doing yourself hmm. well what's always seemed important to me in these roles uh which are fundamentally about people uh, is to approach the people you work with and the people you serve with respect <clears throat> and and openness and you need to listen uh, i think it's a big mistake to think that leadership is all about pronouncing uh, it, there are times when you have to set a standard when you have to declare something of course but mm -hmm. But the kind of, yeah, universities require a very specific style of leadership, in my view, and they are, in some aspects, the attributes of academics generally, which is curiosity, capacity to listen, to respect the ideas of others, and then to work to see how those things interact to take you to a better, a better next step. Um, so, you know, like, like most university administrators, I'm, I'm self-taught <laughs> <laughs> or, or an amateur. It, I don't know how, how, how you want to put it, but uh, you learn on the job. Um, and for me, the, the way of, uh, of doing the administrative side and leading in the institution is very, it's entirely inseparable from the way I operate as a researcher or a teacher. Um, okay. 
So what advice now might you have for uh, incoming and returning students to get the most out of their student experience this year? Well, the university is a, is a rich buffet. And, uh, you know, if you, by the time students are coming back for second and third and fourth year, obviously they, uh, they've chosen the, the end of the buffet table they're going to concentrate on. But, uh, I mean, I, th I think... The culture at large is pushing people to more narrow and narrow specialization uh, these days, and I think that's really regrettable. So my advice to students coming back as their areas of study begin to narrow uh, is to work very hard against that, you know, while at the same time doing what is required of the course of study. Mm -hmm. um, remember that there are other items on the buffet. and. This is a, a remarkable opportunity students have, the years they're in the university. Um, uh, they will never again be able to spread themselves around a whole you know, sort of array of disciplinary areas that they can explore and a whole lot of non or extra academic or extracurricular activities. So my advice would be to uh, continue to make the most of the riches of the university. Um, but to be thoughtful about what this experience is. I, mean, mm -hmm. I, I think universities are very, very privileged places, and it's possible to, to build a society on a university campus that is not really possible outside of the university context, and students need to be aware of that and think about contributing to it, uh, as well as deriving benefits from it. Um, so, yeah, they need to remain fully engaged. Mm -hmm. and, and as they're encouraged to, to disengage from things that are not, you know, front and center in their uh, field of study, I would encourage them to, to maintain a breadth of interest in, their inter in the interests, not just of their careers, but of their, their well-being as, as human beings. Mm-hmm, indeed. And uh, you we're talking a little bit about uh, community engagement, too. Um, the, and there are many opportunities for students to take advantage of that. And, and hopefully you yourself. Uh, what are some of the things that you've uh, enjoyed about Kingston now that you're living here um, that maybe students would like to know a little bit more about, too, as they're arriving? Well, I mean, it is a wonderful city and has, I mean, in terms of its geography, it has such fabulous uh, assets. Uh, I do remember one time when I was here before, we were looking at uh, the sort of age profile of the city, and it, th this discussion was occasioned by some issues having to do with the pension plan. And, and it becomes obvious that people live long and very happy lives in this, in this city. And mm -hmm. I think it's partly because of the kind of milieu it is. It's beautiful. It's culturally alive. It's rich in, in many respects. Uh, it's, it has a rich history, but it also has a very rich present. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, um, you know, so my advice to students who, who come to Kingston to attend Queens is that they should they they should savor the city the way I was just suggesting suggesting they should savor the full riches of the university because it is a wonderful community. However, you know, I think it's not just there as this is where my metaphor breaks down because it's not actually just laid there out there for them to eat as you would a meal. <laughs> you know, it is uh, part of what the city can give uh, is returned to you through your own efforts. And I know lots of students do volunteer work in the community. Mm -hmm. And um, I think 
the university should facilitate that wherever possible. And uh, I mean, I'm very interested in, in academic programming that builds that in as a credit bearing aspect. But even if it doesn't carry credit, um, uh, engagement with community organizations, taking up a cause in the city, uh, all of these things uh, do redound on the student as well mm -hmm. as produce benefit in the community. So I, uh, yeah, you know, I, I would encourage them to you know, enjoy all the obvious benefits that the city has to offer, but, uh, you know, in that very uh, mature way, find, find benefit in giving. Okay. So we have a few minutes left, and I think it's uh, always kind of nice to know who a little bit more about who you're talking to. And we've talked quite a lot about your professional career, uh, some of the work that you've already been doing at the university, and uh, some ideas of what we're going to see moving forward at the um, with your with the leadership at Queens uh, in terms of strategic planning and community engagement, student experience, but let's get to know a little bit more about you, Patrick Dean, the man. <laughs> We've heard about your research too, but what do you like to do in your spare time when you actually have it? <laughs> yeah, uh, my wife and I are hobby farmers, so we have uh, we have horses, we have sheep, we have goats, we we. Um, and not just for the purpose of having them. I mean, the horses uh, are my daughter's former riding horses who now enjoy a happy retirement with mm -hmm. us. But uh, my wife is a spinner and weaver. She's a retired academic. Um, so the, she the, the goats are cashmere goats and the sheep are there for spinning and weaving purposes. So um, all our animals have a safe, lovely, protected life with us. Um, uh, and uh, we enjoy their company. And that does, uh, it, it yeah, it takes up a lot of a lot of my spare time, um, but it is very um, it's very enriching mm -hmm. in a different way. I mean, what I love about uh, living with animals is that uh, their needs are non-negotiable. So, you know, at the end of a day at work, it doesn't matter whether I feel like feeding horses or not. They they need dinner. Yes, and <laughs> and, and that puts. That puts my own issues in, in a different kind of perspective, and I think that's a healthy thing. But every day, people or animals are very happy to see you. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, and that's a tonic. <laughs> well, there's something really nice about that, just thinking about that, too. And uh, prior to uh, the interview, you actually mentioned you have border collies, five of them. Five of them, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so you might ask, why? Why five? Well, if you have a hobby farm, maybe herding? <laughs> well, herding, yeah. So, so my wife does do sheep herding with, with uh, a couple of the dogs. And um, although the number is a bit excessive, I think uh, it's just evidence of our fondness for that breed. Uh, we've, we've had, you know, our family's had lots of dogs over the years, um, all of whom have been deeply loved. Uh, but um, we've, we've been hooked by by border collies they are what are their wrong. names oh uh, so <laughs> there are the, too many to remember they, they are in descending order of age uh, jill kate toby uh, ben and jimmy and will we expect to see some photos of them on your principal's twitter feed uh, in all likelihood yes yeah. you can bring joy to everybody's day with happy dogs happy horses happy sheep happy goats exactly <laughs> Um, tell us about what you like to eat and, um, you know, what kind of music do you like? 
So uh, I, I, I love to cook. Um, I, I enjoy Italian food very much. So my work over the years has taken me to Italy quite a bit, and I, I, have, I have a great fondness for Italian food and, and wine. Um, so that I enjoy, and that done to some sort of musical accompaniment is, is a source of great pleasure for me. Um, I'm sort of eclectic in my musical tastes, but um, I'm at heart a Johann Sebastian Bach guy. Um, okay. There's a great line in a poem by A.R. Ammons, the American poet. Um, the poem is called Tape for the Turn of the Year. And in the poem, I think it's written over the period of the Kennedy assassination, actually. But he's just sort of musing on his day and his music is playing. And he, he writes in the poem, people wrote music after Bach, but it wasn't really necessary. So I, I, I've for a long time had that sort of view of Bach. I, I, I love, I still do love um, any and all of Bach. But I love uh, um, jazz, I, I love blues. My son is a blues musician, uh, so I, he has taught me to really enjoy that. Um, uh, and so, no, I'm, I'm pretty eclectic and uh, enjoy most kinds of music. Alrighty. So would you like to make a selection that we can end uh, a musical selection? Maybe some Bach? Maybe a favorite blues song? Ah, oh, let me see. Um, if I were to choose one piece that uh, I find always transforming and uplifting. It wouldn't actually, I mean, I could find plenty of that in Bach, but uh, uh, from Gabriel Faure's Requiem, the, the final piece, which is called In Paradisum. In Paradisum. Okay, coming up next. So stay tuned. We're going to listen to that song in just a couple of minutes. But I wanted to just take a moment to say thank you very much, Principal Patrick Dean for coming to CFRC and uh, sharing so much about uh, what you've been doing and a little bit about yourself and certainly your your research and your leadership passions. We really do appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on Campus Beat. Oh, th thanks for having me. It's great, great to be here.